If you're able, would you remain standing for a moment longer for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be turning to Revelation chapter 5, reading the chapter, the 12 verses that are in the chapter. Fourteen verses. Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 1. This is the word of our Lord. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation." And have made us kings and priests to all to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was that ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was, who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven. And on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped, worshipped him who lives forever and ever. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Our glorious God, we pray that as we look at this passage, you would cause us to grow more and more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, who was slain for us and came back to life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just a a public service announcement to begin with. Uh, Sometime in the past, I preached on this passage, a similar passage, different context. And afterwards, a little kid came and asked me, why the Bible made such a deal, uh, such a big deal about this little furry animal? And in my Portuguese, my Portuguese-speaking ear and tongue, I cannot make the difference between the thing that you roll and you read from, 
and the little animal that crawls on the trees and gathers pine nuts or acorns. So when you hear me talking today, I'm talking about the thing that you read from, <laughs> not the little animal that crawl up trees. So get that. Uh, um, I literally cannot hear the difference between those two words. So don't come to me afterwards. It's, it's It doesn't matter. I will not hear what you're saying. It's just that I, I came here past the age that I could make the difference between those two sounds. Okay? So got that saddled there. In the summer of 1741, George Friedrich Handel composed what became, to the English-speaking world, his most famous work. In the incredibly short period of 24 days, he wrote 54 pieces of music to accompany a previously written history, history of redemption. I'd love to say that he did that out of great love for the Lord, but he actually did that because he was broke and needed the money, and that's why he did it so quickly as well. He found this libretto, which was the, uh, the, the text itself of what, of what has become known as the, uh, Handel's Messiah, and he wrote music to accompany that, uh, that libretto, that history of redemption. Handel's Messiah is a three-movement oratorio that tells us the history of redemption from the birth of Christ to his passion, including the prophecies concerning the birth of Christ, culminating with his glorification in heaven. And although in history, recent history, Messiah, Handel's Messiah has been associated with Christmas, when he wrote it, it was meant to be sung at Easter, to be sung at Easter. And that's why our choir performed some of it today. Another common misconception is that Handel's Messiah ends with the Hallelujah Chorus. Because it became famous as, as it was being performed in London for the first time when the, the choir sang the Hallelujah Chorus, the monarch of England thought he needed to stand because there was a greater king than he being sung about, and that's why he stood, and everybody, because once the monarch stands, well, guess what you do? You stand, and that became the, uh, at least uh, that, that's how it's been told, became the tradition uh, to stand up. Uh, the Hallelujah Chorus ends only the second movement. There's a whole other ten songs following the Hallelujah Chorus. The end, the, 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 the climax, the great point of Handel's Messiah is actually the last song that our choir sang this morning. That the Lamb is worthy of all glory, honor, and power, which is based on our text in Revelation chapter 5. Chapter 5 gives us a glimpse into this heavenly scene in which the Lord Jesus Christ is commissioned by God the Father to unfold the history of redemption from the death and resurrection of Christ to His coming again. This is a majestic scene that takes place in the throne room and the courts of heaven where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come together to open the scroll of human redemption. And the first thing we see in this vision is God sitting on his throne with a scroll in his hand, 
Verse 1 saw, says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the, on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. As it will become clearer as we move through this passage, this is God the Father holding a sealed scroll. He has his scroll on his high, right hand, which is the hand of power, the hand of authority, and he cannot be taken out of his hand unless he gives to someone. God is holding the history of redemption in his right hand, and nobody's going to be able to take from his hand unless he gives it to that person. In the scroll, you f- we find the history of God's redemption of his people from the cross to the second coming of Christ. In essence, we find in the scroll the book of Revelation. That's what God is holding on, the Father is holding on his right hand. God holds in his hand the history of salvation, and it is his alone. Do you realize that God is in control of everything, even in the midst of the most severe struggle? Brothers and sisters, our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in the palm of his hand. That's what verse 1 teaches us. The scroll contains God's foreordained plans for the future. It contains the course of history. It contains a consummation of the kingdom of God leading up to the end of the world. It contains God's sovereign decrees for the future glorification of believers and the final damnation of unbelievers. And it is all in God's hand. Just the previous chapter, the hosts of heaven sing in chapter 4, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That's our God. That's the one that controls all things. This is the one in whose hand the destiny of every last person is found. God is sovereign over all. The wind blows at his bidding, and the sun shines at his commands. Our God charts the course of all nations, and he holds the rules and the rulers of the earth in the palm of his hand. Brothers and sisters, it is good news. It's good news that Vladimir Putin is not in control and sovereign over all. It's good news that Xi Jinping is not the sovereign. It's good news that Joe Biden is not the sovereign. Jesus Christ, God the Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is in control of all things. Our God is sovereign over every one of them and over you and over me. Our God knows all things. He creates all things. He ordains all things. He sustains all things. And he's, He owns all things, including you. The creator of all things has authority over all things. He has all the rights. He has the right to save sinners. He has the right to damn sinners. And the sinner is not somebody up there. The sinner is everyone apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We make choices and God is in control of everything. God is in control of salvation. He's in control of history. And he's in control of your life. And he does not need any of us to accomplish his plans because he's sufficient in himself. Brothers and sisters, God 
does not need you. How's that for your self-esteem? God does not need you. God does not need me. He doesn't need any of us in this room. He does not need the Bible Presbyterian Church. Every one of us could drop dead and turn to dust, and God would still make a great name for himself among the nations. Praise be to God. And yet God calls you to serve him. Why does he do that? He does that because he loves you. He calls you to serve Him because He loves you. In His mercy, He has invited you to be involved in spreading the gospel in your family, in your neighborhoods, and through them to the whole world. That the nations might be glad that King Jesus rules. Be sure of it. Our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in the palm of His hands. And that includes your destiny as well. And if you're in Christ, you don't want your destiny anywhere else but in the palm of God's hand. But there's a problem. The scroll is sealed. In verse 2, it says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? The strong angels here, the angel here functions as the king's crier. The guy that heralds the king's words. He's looking for the champion. Who will, who will be able to receive the scroll from the king and open it and reveal the content of it. But more than that, not only to reveal what is in the scroll, but to do it and to enforce what is written on the scroll. Who is going to do it? The angel cries out. Who can be God's champion who has proved himself worthy to be handed the scroll of redemption? The answer is coming. But I tell you ahead of time, he's risen. John despairs. John despairs because he looks around heaven and earth and doesn't find any creature that can open God's scroll. It can be handed the scroll that's in God's hand and open it and reveal it to all creation. In verses 3 and 4 we read, And no one in heaven or on earth, uh, under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it, so I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And this teaches us that only God himself can open the scroll. There's nobody else in heaven or on earth that can do this. And as we will see, only the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself, is worthy to open the scroll. There's no other like him in heaven or on earth. And this also teaches us. That we should not be looking to creatures to do what only God can do. Namely, to redeem us from sin and spare us from the wrath to come. Self-fulfillment, happiness, that's all great. But our greatest need is redemption. Our greatest problem is sin. Our greatest need is redemption. Let this passage and other passages like this one... Put your mind to rest concerning the, the deity of Christ. Christ is God. He is worthy to be handed over the control of all of, of history. He is God's champion. There's no one else like him. John tells us he's looked in heaven on earth and didn't find anybody else like him. He's the only one. And then one of the elders comforts John by saying that there is one who can open the scroll. In verse 5 we read... 
But no one, but one of the elders said to him, to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. This one who is able to open the scrolls, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. This is a reference to the son as a Messiah who came to fulfill the prophecies and promises given to David himself. Christ is the eternal king who sits on the throne of David and rules over Israel, the Israel of God, the church. And the Lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll because he has prevailed. Uh, the English Standard Version renders verse 5 a little more accurate when it says, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The Lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll because he has triumphed over all his and our enemies. The Messiah, the eternal King David, the Lord Jesus Christ, has won it. And how do we know that he won it? He's risen. And he has won it by doing what he's, his enemies wanted him to do. He won it by dying. By dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, the great Lord Jesus Christ has defeated every enemy, including death itself. And that makes him worthy to be handed the scroll of redemption and to open that scroll. He's the only one that can do that. And because he won the victory over death, he reigns. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. It's interesting that above the cross of every prisoner, every, every one who received the death sentence under Roman law, was written the charge for which he was found guilty. Remember what was written on top of Jesus' cross, king, the king of the Jews. It's interesting that one of the gospel tells us it was written in every commerce language so that every nation would know what he was charged with. And he was charged with what he was and what he is. The king, but not just of the Jews, of every nation that bows their knees. To Jesus Christ. And notice that the elder encourages John by pointing him to the victorious Christ. The elder says, weep no more. Look at the lion. Look at the lion of Judah. Look at Jesus. And that's how we do it. That's how we encourage people. That's what we do. We point people to Christ. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. There's room for all kinds of Andrews. Remember the, the disciple Andrew? Uh, in John chapter 12, these uh, Gentiles came and wanted to see Jesus. He says, we must see Jesus. What did Andrew do? Come, I'll take you to him. That's what we do. The greatest news, brothers and sisters, the greatest news that we have, the greatest news in all the world is that the slaughtered Lamb of God reigns as the sovereign Lord of all. He was promised centuries ago to patriarchs of old, 
Even all the way back in Genesis 49, it says, The Lion of the tribe of Judah, to whom shall be obedience, the obedience of the people. He is the root of David, prophesied in Isaiah, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall be fruitful, fruit, shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and he will stand as a sign for the peoples. The Lion from the tribe of Judah, and the root of David has come and he has conquered. Therefore, the elder says, weep no more. From the beginning of time and throughout history, sons have come and sons have gone. Daughters have come and daughters have gone. All of them, the noblest of them, the kindest of them, the strongest of them, the greatest of them, all of them have fallen prey to sin. But then came another son alike any other before him. And the son did not fall prey to sin. He possessed power over sin. The son was not a slave to Satan. He crushed the ancient serpent's head. The son did not succumb to death. He triumphed over death. And that's why we can sing with the Apostle Paul, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when John turns to see the lion, what he sees is a lamb. Look at verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, to the lamb as, through, as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Behold, John says, it surprised John that he saw a lamb in the midst of the throne room. He was expecting to see the, the, the powerful and majestic lion, the king of the jungle, and yet he sees a lamb that looked fairly beat up. Right, looked like he had been slaughtered. That's not the image that the world would portray of a champion. But it's the most glorious image that a Christian can see. The slaughtered land of God who came for the sins of the world. But there was something very powerful about this lamb. First, the lamb was the, at, was the center of the attention of all the heavenly beings. The entirety of heaven was focused on this lamb. The lamb was sitting on the throne as a king and the heavenly creatures were focusing on him. And this lamb had seven horns. In the Bible, the horn is a, sound, is, a, is, a, is a picture of strength. And seven is the number of perfection. So this lamb had perfect strength, which is another way of saying that he was all-powerful, omnipotent, just like we read in Revelation chapter 19. And he also had seven eyes, and the eyes are a symbol of knowledge and wisdom, and the seven is the number of perfection, so perfect knowledge. He was not only all-powerful, but all-knowing, omniscient. And the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, the perfect spirit, was doing his bidding. So the only thing we can conclude is that these, all these characteristics that belong to God alone, and they are given to the Lamb, thus we have to conclude that the Lamb that was slain to redeem his people is nobody else other than God the Son incarnate for his people. And then the Lamb received the scroll in verse 7. 
And this is the recounting of what John had told us already in the first verse of the book, in which he says there that he's receiving from Christ a revelation that God the Father had given to him. And when the scroll was handed to the Lamb, heavens, the heavens broke out in worship. Look at verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of his saints. And they sang a new song and so on. Heaven just broke out in worship. Because now the Lamb is, has a scroll in his hand and he can open it. Redemption is available for God's people. The enthroned Christ is reigning. And he is worthy of being worshipped. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fall before him. Then they bring the prayers of the saints before him. And, and though it doesn't tell us exactly what these prayers are, I think the context of this, of, of what we hear, hear, we read here, leads us to believe that the prayers, their big ring, is the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Those are the prayers that are being brought before the Lamb because He is the King. The scroll is open. People are going to be saved. A multitude that cannot be numbered. Your kingdom come. On earth, to, to associate with the third petition, on earth as it is in heaven. And the four creatures and the 24 elders sing a new song in verse 9. And notice that the number of singers increase as they continue to worship the Lord, uh, the Lamb. In verse 9 is the four creatures and 24 elders. In verse 11, thousands of heavenly beings. In verse 13, the entirety of the creation order is worshiping the Lamb. If you're here without believing Jesus Christ, that's one service you don't want to miss. But if you don't come to faith in Him, you're not going to be there. You're going to be weeping, gnashing your teeth in a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Hell itself, where the eternal, infinite wrath of God is going to be poured upon you because you do not come to believe in the one who took upon himself the penalty of the sins of his people. This song is new, though, because it hadn't been sung before due to the fact that the Lamb had not been enthroned Yet, and that goes, now, as a side note, people who believe that we should only sing psalms, that's not what they're going to be doing in heaven. There's going to be a new song. And notice that the heavenly creatures and the elders recognize the worth of the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because the Lamb was slain, and by being slain, He redeemed a people to Himself that is greater than the stars of the heaven and, or the grains of sand in the seashore. This is the people of God, not two of us, not three of us, but a multitude that cannot be numbered from every tribe, from every kindred, from every people's group, from every language, worshiping the Lamb for all eternity. He is worthy because He conquered His enemies by His blood. The Lamb died for all kinds of people. And this very congregation is a living proof of that. You look around and say, oh, I don't think so. We look pretty white. Everybody looks the same. Who's of pure blood here? We are all mutts. We have, if we were to, if we went to 23 and I, is that the, 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 the ancestry.com, 23andMe or something like that. And submitted a genealogy, we would end up with almost every single people's group in this room here. Do you want to see heaven? Look around. 
This is it. Well, not really. <laughs> this is a very flawed version of it. But it's a great testimony that our, the Lamb of God was slain and came back to life. You say, well, but Pastor, you can't prove that he's alive. One of the proofs that you and I are here today, one of the proofs is that we are actually together in a body. One of the proofs is that we live together as a family. People who, apart from Christ, would be just on each other's throat, killing each other, destroying each other, are walking together, hand in hand, shoulder in shoulder, to serve the Lamb. If the Lamb died for all kinds of people, brothers and sisters, why can't He save Olympia? If the Lamb died for all kinds of people, why can he save, can't He save every last student at Evergreen State College? For a few years, Amy and I would go once or twice a week to Evergreen State College. We weren't allowed into the buildings, but we stayed in Red Square. And often the students wouldn't take our papers because they didn't want to kill trees, even though the tree was already dead since the paper was in our hands. But he would allow, they would allow us to read the tracts to them. We never see, never, for three, four years, not one conversion. And yet our Lord can save every last one of them. If the Lamb died for all kinds of people, can't He save the people at the Capitol and our rulers? If the Lamb died for all kinds of people, can't He save you? And the answer to all these questions is that He certainly can. And the Lamb makes those for whom He died a kingdom of priests, in verse 10, and have made us king and priest to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. He made us those that bring people to God and God to people. We are the priests of this kingdom. We're the ones that have access to the Most High God. We don't need anybody to go before us. We don't need, like in Roman Catholic Church, a man to stand between us and God. We have Jesus Christ. We are priests. And priests brings others to Christ as well. And that's what we're called to do. And the worship of the Lamb continues. But now in verses 11-12, it's not just four living creatures. It's not just 24 elders. It's not just thousands of believers. In verses 11 and 12, it's a choir that has millions of voices singing to the Lord. The Lamb is worthy to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. And the heavenly hosts ascribe infinite honor and power to the one who is at the center of it all. And notice the series of seven ascriptions that are made by the heavenly hosts, again, suggesting perfection of the one being worshipped. And the scene ends with the entire created order worshipping both Father and Son in verses 13 and 14. Both Father and Son worshipped equally, both worshipped eternally, both ascribe blessing, honor, and power because both are God, two persons of the triune God. And the only thing left in this heavenly scene is for the, the, living, the four living creatures to, who stand day and night before the throne of God to, they, to say, Amen. Let it be so. Let it be so. Let the, the Lamb who was slain reign. This Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, 
who came in the flesh to obey the Father in life and in death. He is the one whose blood was shed on the cross on behalf of all who trust in him. He is the one who conquered the last enemy, death itself, by being raised from the dead on the third day. This is Jesus Christ, the only Savior of humanity, who stands with the scroll of human redemption in his hand. He is the only one who can save you, and he's risen. Fall down before him. Join the choir, the chorus of heaven, and worship him. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that your spirit would apply the message that is foolishness to a world that's dying, but life to those who believe, to our hearts, that we might grow in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.